0: Welcome to Love Your Library, Hampshire Libraries podcast. I'm Hattie Dulac, here with my co-host, Isaac Frivashi. Hi, Isaac. How are you doing?
1: Good, thanks, Hattie. It's good to see you. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, not bad, not bad. Are you uh, reading anything interesting at the moment?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, I've just started uh, The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner, um, which is sort of, it's a bit Orange is the New Black. She's uh, in prison looking back sort of on her life, and, and it's kind of reflecting about... It's like being in a women's prison as well uh, for a life sentence so yeah i really look forward to to getting my way through that how about you what are you reading
0: yeah well i've actually i've read that one and i do recommend it it does have it does have some good um twists and turns to it i would say so definitely worth a read for fans of orange is the new black and that kind of thing um i am reading all that remains by sue black she's a forensic anthropologist who um you know looks at not just sort of someone's body when they die but also their life and probably more importantly their life and how they got there her book is all about the kind of processes not just biologically of death but um surrounding kind of the the grieving process and and the lead up and the way that people kind of live in their final moments and the way that the body tells that story as well as anything else and i um yeah it's it's a really interesting read i think it's it's not what i expected yeah it reminded me quite a lot of unnatural causes by dr richard shepherd which is a sort of biography of a person who does postmortems and stuff like that it's a, it's a really really good book it's got a few elements of that kind of true crime thing to it it's within within the same sphere i would say so if you're a fan of that you might like it
1: oh interesting yeah no i actually i've read all that rain so i will have to read that other one it's so always good to have a bit of a science book as well. I think it's nice to have sort of somebody who's so so uh, knowledgeable in a field sort of explain something to you um, from from the kind of ground up, really. Yeah, I love that kind of book. And of course, a thank you to our supporter, BorrowBox. Uh, using your library number and PIN to log into the app, you can download eBooks books and audiobooks straight to your phone or tablet.
0: Yeah, that's right. And each month, several titles are available for unlimited download with no need to reserve. And one of those for this month is The Wonder* by Emma Donoghue, which happens to be our online reading group's book of the month.
1: If you want to come and read with us, you can find a link to The Wonder* and the reading group in our episode show notes.
0: Now, Isaac and I recently spoke with a couple of fellow podcasters, Pauline Walker and Patricia Cumper. They host a podcast called The Amplify Project, and together they interview black writers from various disciplines and genres.
1: The result is some really interesting conversations and a great exploration of contemporary writing and the kind of social and background elements that come into writing as well really really interesting conversations you can find links to the amplify project in the episode show notes but for now let's hear from when we caught up with pauline and patricia
0: our listeners today we've got Patricia and Pauline from the Amplify Project talking to us and they're going to be telling us a little bit more about what they do and how our listeners and how library service users can better support the work that they do in in that project so uh yeah how are you guys doing welcome to the podcast lovely to meet you thank you thank you yeah I don't know do you want to just give us a bit of an overview of what the Amplify Project is what it does and visions and stuff like that
2: you want to kick off, Pat? I'll do that. And then you, you <laughs> tell them all the things that I've forgotten to Um Just as for what it is, it actually is, it's a series of podcasts. Um, we have, as well, I'd call them conversations. So then they vary between sort of 40 minutes and an hour. And they're conversations with, um, we've called it black writers in their own words. And we've got playwrights and novelists and poets and memoirists and young adult writers. We've got all, all sorts. And really what it is is one of our interviews described it as one of those conversations on the bus where you can just talk about everything. So we, um, yeah, it's a nice safe space for them to to talk about stuff. And then what we are is also, there's a, a website that goes with it. We've got um, blogs up on there. You can access the conversations through that. So that in practical terms, um, that's what it is. But for us, it's a passion project, isn't it, Pauline?
3: Yeah, it is a passion project because um both writers uh, Pat is far more ex- experienced than me um, I'm kind of writing a novel at the moment so but we in this project we try to sort of take the background and and foreground uh, you know our guests because it's really all about them and, and their work and, and the craft of writing so that's what we're really interested in and exploring their lives and um, and really putting it out there that there is a, a black British canon of work so yeah
2: we have been told, you know, I've, I've worked in the arts, Paulina's worked in the arts, and you, you get this message, that you oh know, that there isn't really a canon of Black British work. And we kind of going, no, 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 there is. We know the writers who are making it. So we thought, rather than, because you know what happens, somebody writes a book and there's a big promotion and then they disappear for like five years. So we thought, what about trying to establish them as thinkers and creative people and, and you know, people of importance in their own right and that people need to know more about it. And it's it's decision makers. You know, are you going to commission a playwright? Are you going to, you know, read somebody's novel? It's people who are just interested in the craft because a lot of people, you know, they always think they have a book in them. So they want to know. <laughs> um, yeah. And and it's, it's students and it's just, you know, they're just quite gentle conversations. But sometimes life's a bit frantic and a bit polarized and something gentle that just explores an idea and, you know, is, is really kind of, um, yeah, sort of embracing, I think is, is kind of what we were aiming for. Yeah.
3: And we really kind of structure it very loosely structure it um, sort of with three sort of main points. So we always start with, um, uh, you know, their childhood and what did words and stories mean to them you know, as they were growing up. And then we hit kind of like, you know, where they are now in their creative lives. And then we try to end on something, you know, we do ask them actually, uh, what, what can be a provocative question for some, but not for others is about being a writer and a, being a black writer specifically mm. and, and what that term and that label means. Um, and then we kind of end with, um, you know, something about celebration, ask them to tell us something to celebrate themselves. And in between, obviously, we're talking about the work and, and you know how they generate that work. And do you know, the question about celebrating themselves is the hardest one for them to answer. <laughs>
2: It's really strange they they really struggled to say something positive about themselves and it, you I'm sleeping there going but you're brilliant <laughs> and I can't say that I want but I want them you know to to um be able to say something wonderful about themselves but I mean some like Pauline was saying some because we structured it in a way we can sort of compare bits and bobs and mm. actually the childhood of writers seems to be remarkably similar in that there's um, without, that's not the best way to put it, but an element of loneliness, mm. and that stories and words have become very much a part of how they define themselves and how they learned about the world. Um, the other thing we found, which is kind of gender specific, is that um, men seem to take the, the the sort of title of poet or playwright or whatever it is, much more quickly than women do. Women practically have to win an award before they say, oh yes, I'm a poet, or yes, I'm a playwright. So that, that we found um, really interesting. But the variety of stories and backgrounds mm. and just incredible. And I uh, feel really lucky that they sort of opened up to us and, and um told us some of the stories that they did.
3: Yeah. I remember that we had um one of our writers, let's say who it is, um, <laughs> kind of right when we sort of finished recording, and you know, there's a little bit of downtime where was like, oh, that was lovely and this, and the other. And um and they said, Oh, I've just been sitting here with a glass of wine, <laughs> I've been really enjoying myself. <laughs> and so, which which is a nice compliment to us, I think, that you know, they were relaxed enough to yeah, you know, enjoy exactly. themselves and have a glass of wine. it was in the afternoon that's probably the point (laughs) yeah necessarily after 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 six
0: o'clock you know nine in the morning no yeah (laughs) it's I think it's such a good point I mean because it's such a um, personal thing writing you know I think people really invest so much of themselves personally into a book that your own identity or your vision of identity always comes through in, in a book but I think from our experience we interview a lot of authors and I think um, we've been lucky to have some really really amazing um, black British authors on our podcast and that is one of the common threads that we find as well um, specifically with these writers there's such a strong sort of connection or a, a, maybe even a focal point on a bit of a disconnection with with their own cultural identity um, and it it comes across so, so well in the books that they write but also in, in the kind of conversations that we have with them it's such a Nice way for us to get a bit of an insight and and see into their development and their lives and things like that. I think it's just wonderful.
2: Mm. Then we have somebody like um, Juliet Jokes Romero, who um, was a journalist for a long time and traveled Mm. to Haiti and to Mexico and to East Africa and all sorts of places. And her approach is so well, research based because she's a journalist first, but um, it's so international. I mean, that's absolutely lovely. And then you get the poetry of somebody like Rachel Long, which is just very much about, it's not a small life, but it's a, a really deeply examined life. So it's everything from going to the hair salon, you know, mm. and, and you know, somebody eating chicken and then doing your hair and, and just the details of life. So it's that range. And then we got uh, Nick McCullough who, who grew up between um, Uganda, Kenya and the UK. So he again has a very sort of international focus and understands what it means to be forced to leave a society, you know, urgently. and. Yeah, we had a wonderful interview and I think Colin won't mind us saying so where he talks about, (laughs) he he was educated at a really um, posh school. His parents were in the Caribbean, they they were in Luton and his dad paid for it by hustling a little bit of ganja around the place and, you know, that's how the school fees got paid. And of course, you know, Colin has benefited from it hugely. So you've got this very public school voice telling this really interesting story. Yeah, he was very much like
3: a... Yeah, he was very much like a raconteur, I think, in the old kind of I'm showing my age now, but um, Peter Eustinoff type vibe where you just give him a subject and off they go and you be you'd be really entertained. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Perfect podcast guest. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, he is with the longest, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can I have some bookmark that that one? Give it a listen. (laughs)
1: listening to you to talk about the kind of variety and the kind of conversational aspects of the the podcast they they sort of seem so sort of led by curiosity I think was was how I encountered them anyway just sort of really um looking into how how the the writers are getting started what what you know Mm -hmm. what they want to explore in themselves and in the world and sort of trying to situate these these kind of big questions but um I think what well, I I kind of wanted to know how you two came to know each other and and how the um, Amplify project sort of really started from from the the ground up really.
2: Right, um, well, I met Pauline. I was head of Talawa Theatre Company, and Pauline came to work as a coordinator of an umbrella organisation for for lots of the arts. Right
3: over to you, Pauline. What happened after that? <laughs> thought, what happened after that? So I met Pat. This is, this is about back in 2010, I think. So obviously, looking now, we know each other for like 12 years. Um, so yes, Pat was running a theatre company. I was looking after this umbrella organisation. Um, and actually, for me, that was the first time that I'd been in a, an environment where um, there were all these small black theatre companies. I hadn't really known that they'd existed because I'd, I'd worked uh, for a big organisation before and didn't realise that you know, there was this groundswell of work um, and these wonderful writers that are writing this work. Um, so we met each other, we've worked on various projects together over these last sort of 12 years, always um, around black writing, Pat's own writing. I actually produced one of her plays, which is one of my favorites, called Chickenfoot Boys, which <laughs> is about the Jamaican soldiers in World War One. It's actually a beautiful, beautiful play. Um, and so we've always, uh, you know, we're friends and colleagues now. So we've always, you know, talking about around these kind of um you know the 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 work for black British writers and I also look after the Alfred Fagan War which is a a playwriting war for black playwrights um and back in 2020 sort of you know a few months into the pandemic we were having one of our customary discussions about the state of world, (laughs) you know what it all means um and you know we just started talking about you know black British writers don't really get that same presence within our society as they should really and, and that kind of promotion um, and we just started talking around it and you know just came up with the idea really. Um, yeah, I mean I've, I've spent a lot
2: of time working in radio in, in the Caribbean but quite a lot here you know I do a lot of audio drama I, I commentate for the world service every now and then. So I like radio. Pauline was much more hesitant from the first but she's very comfortable with it now. But I do like the immediacy of of radio mm. and the fact that conversations you can have feel like somebody's beside you you don't you know and it, there's a lot more thought i think involved in listening and interpreting. So I I really like radio and then the whole business of of podcasting um mm. came up and we thought why not so we did an offer we oh, we went and trained is that right yes. we went
3: and that there. was fun yes we had to train on how to like uh uh, edit, and how to put a podcast together and structure it and everything. And I started listening to them more because I, I used to listen to a lot of radio, sports, so you perhaps already burst in the art of, of working in radio. So I had, had that kind of head start, really. Um, and, yeah, we just started fleshing out ideas, you know, writing them up, putting them down on paper, testing them with a few friends, getting quite rigorous about what it is that we wanted to do, you know, and try to keep it simple um, um, and, you know, quite focused. Um, and then we brought on a marketing consultant who's a, who's a friend that we both worked with um, just to kind of really sharpen up the thinking that we were doing. And then we were thinking, well, we're freelancers. We're both, you know, we work in the arts. We don't have any money. How are we going to fund this project? Because we didn't want to, to just be something that, you know, you do in your way through, which is lovely. <laughs> um, but we wanted to have a certain kind of quality about it. Um, and um, so we thought, right, let's apply to the Arts Council England. I mean, we have an ongoing
2: relationship with them anyway. They've they've funded various things that we've done. we we'd, we'd um, when Pauline produced a play, for example, they'd invested in that and a theatre company we'd set up at one point. So um, we put uh, the full and ambitious project to them, <laughs> yes. and they said, "This is a lovely idea, but no, oh. <laughs> go away and redig it." So we we went away and um, pulled it down. One of the the arts council, um, a lady who works there just got in touch with us and said she'd, she'd help and she did. And we pulled it down and then they funded that second, that second bit, which was really good in the sense that we had to really figure out what it is we wanted to do. Um, and yeah, that one second one was funded. And the other good thing, particularly for us, is in the middle of the pandemic, we were able to give actors and writers and uh, producers just fees just a little bits and bobs here and there but it's just that business of turning over the money so that people in the creative sector had had some money to do so um and yeah the other big lesson of course was uh the marketing most marketing we've done before was we're part of an organization and you market something they've done this is starting from scratch which is just a whole whole different um kettle of fish
3: yeah. So, yeah and you know what it's like trying to you know you follow you follow your downloads or you know you, you don't really get figures for listenerships, but it's it's about downloading how many people are actually engaging. And, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why we have our website as well. So people we can actually come, you know, they're they're on the website, all the podcasts are on the website. So people can either download them or they can listen straight from the website. Um, so yeah, that's that was been a, a you know a strong kind of um learning curve for us to to you know um deal with the marketing side of things. But we had a you know we had some good marketing um uh what am I trying to say? <laughs>
2: response <laughs> yes but the other thing um Pauline probably wouldn't say but I will is that we have fairly complementary mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. I'm quite good at blathering and structuring the and Pauline is really really good at delivering and I know that there, there's she has an intensive creative side so this is a, a you know to be that disciplined and to be creative is, is remarkable <laughs> but that allows the project to um and we operate it really professionally we make yes, sure that absolutely done exactly as it should be done because it's public money and you never ever waste public money the other thing of course is to have fun if you don't yeah. enjoy doing it it's going to become such a burden because that's the first thing our instructor said don't start it if you don't intend to keep it going for a good while
3: yeah you know, a lot of people yeah. going
2: to do three and then go i can't do. It. no long yeah. haul so you have to enjoy it and and i love talking to writers I mean, it's yeah. it's always fun. Some of them I've known for decades. Some of them I'm only just meeting. We talked to Hafsa Zayan, who wrote We Are All Birds of Uganda, and that won the, the Murky Book Prize, which is just a new writer, brand new. She's written this huge story. And, you know, just the sort of confidence of, of her going in and, and just taking on that really big story. I really, you know, we enjoyed doing that. And then you've got, you know, Trish Cook, who's been writing pantomimes and children's books and plays and, for 30 years, I would have thought. So, yeah, we've, we've, we've got a good range. And
3: lovely, Alex Pauline. Alex, oh, Alex Wheatle, yeah. Amazing um, writer who started out more, I suppose, as a, as a adult novelist, but now writes young adult fiction um, and is kind of well-known all over the world. But he had such a, um, a troubled upbringing, was in the care system, and then moved from Surrey, where, he, where there were very few Black people that he met, um, to Brixton, which is obviously, you know, a, a very multicultural area um, and um, had difficulty finding his place, his identity within that black community there. But what's really inspiring about Alex is um, that, you know, he never gave up on writing when somebody suggested to him, oh, you could write, you know, it, it could have been easy for him to just give up, but he didn't, so he's kept going and, you know, so he, he's one of, yeah, he, he was really inspirational to talk to, to listen to, really. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, you you have such a sort of wide range of of authors and and it's you said it's yeah. in, in your uh website and on your uh podcast description it's it's, uh, it's page stage and screen isn't That's it you go yeah, yeah. but it seems to be the kind of the, the huge wide range of creativity that you can pull on and investigate there how do you kind of pick who to talk to
3: who wants to talk to us?
2: Yeah, well, we did have a <laughs>
1: wish list at the beginning
3: initially so that at least we could start approaching people. And then, um, you know, and it was difficult at the beginning. I mean, a few people came up very early and kind of got got what we're doing, but sometimes you need to have a product before people can then say, oh, I see what you're doing and, and I'll be interested in doing that. So it was, yeah, you know, we because we're both from theatre um, and the literary scene, it's... It, you know there was a, was a long list there still is a long list <laughs> because we've hardly you know touched the surface as i would say um so i think at the beginning we wanted that like, kind of because we were thinking of doing 12 to start with so like four poets for um uh playwrights for novelists, something like novelists. That, you know, yeah different. you know something, something like that, that. Yeah. and obviously try to have a mix of um you know all genders in there as well um and then it was like putting those out and seeing who came back and said yes you know and then and then um, so we started putting the list together that way and, and so yeah. So what? What's one of the things that we love is that you know they're diverse and across all ages as well. So um, yeah,
2: yeah. There's a lot, and there's still lots more to go. We've got yeah, one. absolutely. We've yeah, wrapped up the first season. We've done ten. Yeah. Um, and then we're gonna we have at least what seven of the seven? next season, yeah already seven lined, lined already up, lined up really. for, for the second interesting show. I mean everybody from Theresa Coco who wrote Rocks which won all of those awards and her first play won lots of awards yeah and then Roy Williams who's been in theatre absolutely forever and then Sarah Collins who's Franny Langton is about to go to um has just been adapted for film I think has yeah. it, so, yeah. Has it? Oh, yeah I love that one I think she's done the, the
3: adaptation hasn't it? she yeah. I think I'm,
2: I'm a hawk on the Twitter babe I follow. Yeah. The <laughs>
3: yeah that was the other thing that we had to do is build up that social media following which is just like uh, it's really hard to do but you know we have got um a good marketing and we're still getting there with that I think we're (laughs) not not really good social media animals
2: yet but we're we're definitely getting (laughs) the lovely thing the bookshelf has gone from this to this
0: yes yeah
2: you know we've got an excuse to buy everything as it comes up (laughs) yeah
3: yeah
0: yeah. I was going to ask, actually, do, are you finding that you're kind of like reading now outside of your, I don't, you know, reading comfort zone? Are you, or are you exploring things that you probably wouldn't have three years ago um, when, when it comes to reading and investigating that?
2: Oh, yeah. 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 I would, some of the poets I would never have read. Uh, you and uh, Anthony had an interesting <laughs> question.
0: Yeah.
3: Anthony Joseph, he's, a, he's a, originally from Trinidad, but still got his lovely musical. Beautiful musical uh, Trinidadian voice, and uh, he, you know, is described as a surrealist poet, surrealist novel novelist. And um, so, yeah, one of his collection, uh, poetry collections, I was reading. It was like, I don't really get it, but it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I kind of mentioned that to him. So, yeah, so I, that's his work would, wasn't necessarily something that I would have gone to immediately, but now you begin to have an appreciation for this work. And actually, what I'm finding is that, yeah, I will try that writer, or we'll try that writer. Um, because it, it's lovely to have that kind of um, versatility within, within our own reading as well. But yeah, yeah. it's that has been the, the, the fun part of it. I mean, it's a bit, bit difficult when we set ourselves a, well, sometimes it's happened when we've had to do two interviews in a week and then you're <laughs> doing the research <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, I've got to cram all this reading in... in you know, and so, yeah, sometimes
2: you'll divvy it up, you know, so I will yeah. be able you'll okay.
3: that. Yeah, yeah. And, but, and um,
2: really, we ask the right questions.
3: Yeah, because yeah. You don't, what you don't want to do is, is obviously let down a writer and not feel that you've actually got some on kind their of handle on, on their work. You know, it's, um, we, we give them that respect, really. So, yeah.
0: No, it's, it's important. So, yeah, what well, I guess, what then do you like to read? Is, is there a sort of genre that either of you are married to generally or um, or, or not? Um, I don't think I'm married to
3: a genre. I mean, I have myself been reading more black writers in the last two to three years anyway um and I like what's it's difficult the genres that that you know um, bookshops or publishers put on on novels that are out there so I you know read anything I've got some books here that I took out just to you know to um remind myself what I kind of like to read so things like um The Memory of Love by Aronata Fauna um Tony Morrison's Beloved Andrea Levy's Small Island um, and then we jump to, you know, Margaret Atwood's *Handmaid's Tale* and *George 1984, <laughs> you know, and um, *The Girl on the Train*. So I do like a. Sometimes I like, you know, um, a thriller type um, novel or a criminal novel, um, just for those things. So just kind of because I like things that are plot heavy in, in some ways, and you're trying to guess, mm. you know, what's going to happen next. So sometimes I, I enjoy those. Pat, what do you like reading? <laughs>
2: I adapt a lot of um, stuff. I sort of abridge and adapt books quite a lot. So sometimes books represent work for me. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. But, for example, going into Poppy Show, partly because I've known Leonie for a long time, but also I know the resonances of that world, having lived in the Caribbean and lived here, there's a kind of sense memory that goes with it. I mean, the most intense one for me recently was Love After Love by Ingrid Persaud. Um, which just brought back just every memory. But also I thought, I I found myself sitting on my little veranda just weeping at the end, thinking, no, 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 I don't want that to happen to those characters. I get quite intensely um, involved. But I I grew up, um, and this is why I guess um, the library thing so appealed to me, I grew up on Georgette Hale, uh, Dick Francis, I mean, you're sitting in the Caribbean and all, you know, at that point when we used to go on holiday, there wasn't even electricity, it was lamps and, you know, you're buying ice to keep things cold. So um, reading was one of the major things that we did. So um, it's always been a part of the way that, um, yeah, that I've, I've, I pick up and read, which is just, I even read the back of packets, it's just a habit. You know. <laughs> but I also am a little bit sad, I have to say, I have two grandsons. And the role that the library paid for me coming up as a child, which was, we would just dump there every Saturday and we had painting classes and we had, we were allowed eventually into the adult library and we could go through the stacks and the newspapers were there and all the latest magazines. And of course, if you're in Jamaica, the latest National Geographic or the latest Scientific in American or anything like that was, you know, you'd practically scrap over it because those were the things that talks about, you know, a, a wider world. And I don't see it being quite the same with, with um, my grandson. So doing this has really made me sort of think, how do I, how do I you know, achieve them a bit more perhaps? Because mm, yeah. they do, they love stories and they absorb them, but not necessarily reading. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's quite sad.
1: I suppose like when now when you sort of can turn on your phone and be immediately connected to everything it's sort of difficult I don't know to to almost balance making time where something maybe you maybe you reading would be the natural way that you would access that information or reading would be the way that you discovered new countries and new stories and new worlds and and now maybe through I don't know other media that's not necessarily the the default way we come across them is it? it it can be. I don't know, a difficult thing to balance, I think, can't it?
2: Well, yeah. I'm stealth grandma, because what I have done, my <laughs> when I'm visiting and I stay over, I read to my grandson, even though he's about nine, just as he's going to sleep. Because my thing is <laughs> that one day he'll become so curious about what's happened next, and I'm not there. He's going to pick up the book. That That's my stealth grandma tactic. <laughs> but we've gone through quite a few things. The Marcus Rashford book, um, a couple of, um, lots of David Williams. Um, you know all of that. Really, as you say, plot-driven, really exciting, really adventurous um, kind of stuff. So yeah, I have I have a sneaky plan to get them. <laughs> a bit
0: more. It's a it's like a guerrilla go- storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Lie yeah. down
2: and go to sleep while I talk to you, boy. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I think maybe that's what we should um, the tactics we should employ at the libraries. You know. Um, come in for a nap and we'll read to you by force. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Well that's what we used to do. When I was a when I was a kid in at primary school, you know, there was the, obviously the school library, but you used to fall asleep in school, you know, you'd have your reading time and you'd all be sitting on the floor or cushions or whatever it was. And you would kind of fall asleep and and I do remember as a kid as well that we used to take trips to the library, you know, school kids, we yeah. all used to, to read together. A thing. Yeah. yeah. And I used to I used to love that. I mean libraries are I just think are just so really important as as space is just to be able to go and be and actually in this you know heavily technological world it's just a a place of nice and calm and quiet you know so it's I think it's it still has a place and I think it's it should always be free and it should be in every town and every city (laughs) so um, yeah no I mean
2: just thinking about it, it, it it felt to me like the diminution has been a loss and I understand them saying, oh, we've got the internet, we don't need it. No, the library was never just reference books. It was always yeah. much more than, you know, and it, it represented for me a kind of democratization of, of creativity and of information and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you shouldn't be hampered in terms of your educational possibilities or even your creative possibilities by where you come from. And so libraries, to me, were really sort of a, a huge part of that. So, yeah, you, you, it, this really made me think an awful lot. You know because I've been around museums quite a bit I've been on the board of museums and and I think they do with objects I think what libraries do with books and information which is open up worlds and you know provide an egalitarian way so long as they're free you know an egalitarian way for people to to learn and to, to enjoy
0: yeah I think our um our library teams really do see themselves as custodians of information or or you know um providing that kind of key of access to to information for everyone and I think that's such a lovely role for people to have in society as well. I think the feeling of um, like you're giving back working in a library is probably just one of the the best feelings ever. It's a a joy to be part of the public sector to be able to do that so yeah definitely, definitely um, one of the greatest significances I think of libraries. What did, you, what did you find about, or as we're sort of emerging for the pandemic, are you finding that there's adjustments that you're making with your recordings and things like that?
3: Because um, we started recording um, online, we've just kept with that actually. Um, and I think that, that that has worked really well. What we have done as well is that we've, um, well I guess we've sent them a, a little uh, plug-in microphone as well to just try and get the best sound possible. Um, I was really worried at the beginning, wasn't I, about like, um, oh, God, you know, the sound, you know, the, the, the quality of the audio wasn't going to be good enough, and, um, and nobody commented about that, so it must be okay, um, yeah, so.
2: I don't think, I mean, it's, what's nice about doing it this way is that actually we we take up maybe an hour and a half of people's time. I think if they had to travel somewhere, and then we had to sit down in the studio, and then do this, and that, we're talking about three, three and a half, four hours, and that's a different a sort of a different commitment and we might have to be thinking about filming it and so on. So I think we've kept it fairly simple, um, you know, and made sure that the audio quality um, is decent. What we would like at some point to do, because we've thought about 500 variations of what we'd like to do, is there's a a group of women called the BB Crew. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but like Joe Martin, who was the... um, the, the black Doctor Who and people who have been on it, but they originally started out as a, just a crew of women working together in drama in theatre world East, and they've all written something, they've all done something, and I thought how wonderful to just take them all into studio. There's about five of them, and they're manic and they're genius, and it's <laughs> just, actually just record that as one of the podcasts. So we have lots of plans oh and the titan one we'd like to do get sort of really amazing people like margaret busby who's been a publisher and a writer and you know just and get just get them in and have them talk about the history of um bame literature if we're do, are we allowed to say bame anymore i'm not sure but you know what i mean minority ethnic whatever <laughs> black british, oh, black
3: yeah, british. Black british.
2: <laughs> yeah. in all of its wonderful variations so yeah, yeah. but i i don't think it's going to change much because it allows us. Um, to, to, because we're definitely not paid full-time to do this. So we all have other things, you know, that we're doing. So um, this allows us to be really effective in, in the time that we spend, I think.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you've got a lot of really fun sort of projects coming up with that as well. So maybe a good kind of place to touch on it. How do you think that um, our listeners, can? how can our listeners kind of get involved with supporting the Amplify project and um, where can they go? if they kind of want to hear more?
3: I think definitely go to our website, which is um, theamplifyproject.co.uk. Um, we're very proud of it. It has pink in it, which I like. So I, anybody who <laughs> knows me knows that I love pink. Um, anyway, <laughs> I digress. But yeah, so all, all the podcasts are there. Um, and what we've also done is that we've got transcriptions in each podcast as well, to just try and be as accessible as possible. And also sometimes people just like to read the transcript. Um, And we've got the bios of the writers. um, And so, yeah, a lot of the information there is on our podcast. You can also, we're on all the big major podcasting platforms um, like um, Apple, iTunes, um, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Stitcher FM, oh no, Fair (laughs) FM and Deezer. (laughs) All these, there's so many of them, but we're all on the big ones, you know, the the, the big main ones. So, yeah, just search for us of the Amplify Project um black writers in their own words and um, will pop up but the the website is is the first way in. so we'd love people to listen download if they want to download um, and um, listen from the website and if they enjoy it actually for us it's it's about trying to get as many people listening so just recommend us to friends family colleagues networks
2: yeah we're about to um we've sort of wrapped up season one the first ten um, we even did a little mini podcast with the two of us talking about that. And then um we're we're heading into season two. So we're at the point of sort of fundraising and trying to get all you know the finances in place and so on. We always want to be able to um pay the writers and, and everybody that works with us. So that's that's our challenge for the next couple of months to, to, to raise the funding necessary for season two. But we've got some amazing writers, like we said, Roy Williams and Teresa Coco and Dreada, and just amazing you know, writers who, who are now very happy to work with us and we're very happy to work with them. So we're going to go on doing those podcasts and sort of banking them. And um, so fundraising and banking amazing interviews. That's our project for the next couple of months. Yeah. And then we'll be back with them um, season two. But yes, it would be lovely if people would listen and, and download. And um, you can choose a poet, have a playwright. What about a young, you know, young adult? We've got them. And actually, but we want to do somebody who writes lyrics. Um, and yeah, maybe even somebody who works with graphic novels, because I think the idea of storytelling, you know, is something that we'd really like to to
1: explore. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Especially with when you can sort of tell stories in so many different ways as well, isn't it? You, you can, I mean, limited only, literally only by the human imagination. I, yeah, I can imagine that the kind of the kind of exploration you can do is is endless, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, my favorite quote is Ben Opry, "We're half human, half stories." You know, the idea that we accrete other people's experience to ourselves through stories to make us who we are. And I really like, I, I always quote that one because I think Ben Ocker is quite clever about the idea of from what stories are and what they do. But yes, we've enjoyed having so much time. Well, being allowed to really play around and listen to how a work goes from thought to fruition to out into the world. It's been, yes, we've been, I feel very lucky.
0: Yeah, I think everyone benefits from hearing about how stories get from conception to, to reality. I think we've kind of touched on it in Plans of World Domination, we might have to leave it there, but um, is there, in terms of the future of the project, where would you love to see this taken? Maybe not in the coming months, because obviously we know that you've got season two coming out and you've got plenty more authors on on um, playwrights and poets and, and people from the creative industries in the in the pipeline. But you know, is there a sort of longer term uh, vision
2: We've talked about lots of things. I mean, we would really like to keep this uh, this uh, going and to spread you know the genres as as wide as we possibly can, and certainly in terms of age, ages, gender, sexuality, everything. But um we were also thinking, we know so many wonderful Asian writers, and we we're thinking if there might be a sort of a parallel format that we could interweave if we wanted to. but the idea that, What's interesting, I think, about this is that we're already familiar with the culture and background of the people that we're speaking with. So there's a comfort level for them speaking to us. So we wondered if there was, you know, an an Asian version, an East Asian version, an Eastern European version. I don't know. But ways in which the idea of making, having conversations between writers that are from similar backgrounds that allow that sort of thing. So developing that perhaps in, in other ways. And um, perhaps going a bit more international as well. I mean, I know we have listeners in Canada. We certainly have in the Caribbean. I don't know if we picked up any in in West Africa yet, but we we're pretty sure we're that we get in there. Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty sure that we will, especially with um, Oladipo's um, podcast. So yeah, it's it's about small steps, getting there slowly, making sure we do it well. But I, there are lots of things that I think we would like to do in the future. But building the audience, having them trust us creating something that they um, rely on to be there.
1: It was great speaking with Pauline and Patricia there, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the next series of the podcast. And if you uh, want to discover some amazing new writers, you can find recommendations from the Amplify project over on the Hampshire Library's blog. Um, It's a really great collection of poetry, plays and novels. You can find a link to the post in the episode show notes.
0: But that's about all we have time for today. Thank you to BorrowBox for supporting this podcast and thank you for listening. I'm Hattie Dulac.
1: And I'm Isaac Fravashi.